Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Would you pray with me? And Lord, now, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would stir within our hearts feelings of praise and adoration to you as you transform us by the renewing of our minds to make us more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. I think there's something that's part of growing up where you learn that those who were old to you were people too. Um, and, And here's what I mean by that. So I can remember the first time I realized that my grandparents weren't always grandparents. And frankly, it didn't come until after they had gone home to glory and I was going through some stuff. Uh, The way it worked out in my life on my father's side, uh, when my grandmother passed away, he became the executor of her estate, and then while he was doing that, he passed away unexpectedly, and so I became the executor of her estate and his estate. But as I was trying to tie up her estate, I can remember going through papers in the office of their house and just learning that they were real people too. And and it kind of blew my mind because I thought that my grandparents existed only to buy me things and to give me peppermint candies whenever I was around. I thought my grandmother existed only to be the only person who kept a rain bonnet in her purse forever. She always had a rain bonnet. How many of you even know what a rain bonnet is today? A few of you, okay. I mean, it's just... But, but to learn that they were people and that they had once been young and that they had once had lives and struggles and it wasn't all just about buying me the best presents at Christmas time. But you know, as you go back and you look at somebody's life over the course of their life, you notice that transformation happens. Now, for some people, that transformation is not pretty. For some people, they become very bitter as they age and they become very hateful. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing that happens the older we all get, we kind of lose our filter. Uh, some of us never had much of a filter anyway in the first place, but you know, uh, sometimes when we lose that filter, it can have relational struggles <laughs> as that comes out. And sometimes for the rest of us who can be on the receiving end of the lost filter, that's like, what is this? But sometimes as we age, there's a more positive transition. And honestly, that's what's supposed to happen for followers of Jesus. That the longer we live, the longer we trust and follow Jesus, and the longer we trust and follow Jesus, the more we become like him because the Holy Spirit is working within us. We're gonna see that sort of transition happen in the life of the Apostle John today. If you're following along in the Word of God, I wanna invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter four. We're going to start in Matthew 4, verses 21 and 22, and if you're in the room, that's the Red Pew Bible in front of you, page 809, page 809. We're going to look at John because John is known for a lot of things. John is known for being the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. He's known for being one of the two brothers that are known as the Sons of Thunder, which was a moniker that Jesus gave them. He's known as being one of the people who came and said, Jesus, let me sit at your right or your left in your glory. But he's known also as the author of the fourth gospel. He's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He's known as the, the author of three epistles toward the end of the New Testament, and he's known as the one who was exiled to Patmos. And while he was there, the Lord gave him the revelation that teaches us how everything will come together and how God wins in the end and that his reign is forevermore. And for all of us who trust and follow Jesus, who have repented of our sin and received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we get to go with him and we get to reign with him forevermore. So John's known as a lot of things, but, but one of the interesting things about John is that we get to see the transformation in his life. He started out young and a little bit brazen, kind of brash, and he ended simply being thankful to have the love of God lavished upon him that he might be called a child of God. He ended saying that he has no greater joy than knowing that his spiritual children are walking in the truth. So what happened to John? How did he go from this brash and brazen young man who was, we'll see, ready to call down fire from heaven on the heathen to this man who is focused on encouraging us to walk in God's truth and to be purveyors of God's love. How did that happen? Well, we know how it happened. John decided to follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's the theme today. John decided to follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. Matthew chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Matthew is a saved tax collector who writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, And going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is one of the earliest images we get of John. He's there with his brother James. They're working for their father Zebedee. They are mending their nets after working all night. They are fishermen. John didn't come from the seminary. He went through the normal schooling that all the boys got at an early age, and then he, he was deemed that it was time to go home and learn the family trade, so he did. But he was a man of faith because we learn from John's gospel that he was a disciple of John the Baptist. So not only did he work, he also sought to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he became one who would learn from John the Baptist. And so he had a heart for God, but he was still figuring out what that would look like as he lived out his faith. Mark gives us a recording of this early encounter, too. You can turn over to Mark chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 16 through 20. And Mark tells us in verse 16 that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants 
and followed him. Our first point today is this. John followed Jesus to a new lifestyle. John followed Jesus to a new lifestyle. He had been trying to learn from John the Baptist, but he had also been learning from his father how to be a fisherman. Because at one point, Zebedee was going to step away, probably because his health wouldn't allow him to be part of the business anymore, and it would be handed over to the boys, James and John. They would have to take over. And so they had to learn. So I would imagine that every moment that they were out on the boat, they were learning they were being uh, discipled by their father. They were, they were apprentice fishermen. And they were learning how they were going to support themselves and their families throughout the rest of their lives. And so this, this particular day, they're mending their nets. And as Jesus comes by, he sees their partners. We learn in Luke's gospel that they were business partners, James and John and Simon and Andrew. They were business partners. And so they were close to one another. They worked together in the fishing industry. And as Jesus comes along, he sees Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And then he goes on a little further to their business partners, and there's James and John, there was Zebedee, and he says, follow me. And what do they do? They get out of the boat, and they follow. They cross the starting line of faith by committing themselves to Jesus Christ. And that's what we all have to do. We all have to start the, cross the starting line of faith by committing ourselves to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we get it wrong. We think that, that when we give our lives to Christ, we receive him as our Lord and Savior, that that's the finish line, that now we're good, we're going to go to heaven when we die. But that's not true at all. No, that's the starting line. You've just come out of the blocks. You've got a race to run now. You'll be empowered to run that race by the Holy Spirit of God that he gifts you at the moment that you cross the starting line of faith. But you've got a race to run. And so for John, he had to get out of the boat to begin this race. This race that he would learn had twists and turns he wasn't expecting, but that always had the grace of God. Always. And during that race, he would be transformed. He would be changed. He would be called out by Jesus. How many of you have ever been called out by Jesus? How many of you have ever had the Lord get into your business past the point of comfort in which he kind of makes you go, ugh? Well, that's his grace. It's his grace showing us the offensive ways in us so that we can change by the power of his Holy Spirit. God knows that nothing changes unless we do. So he changes us. And then he sets us in the world to make us change agents for his kingdom. But in this moment, John is leaving the boat to pursue a new lifestyle, a lifestyle of trusting and following Jesus. And God would use him throughout the rest of his life. And now for two millennia past his life, to change others. That's the way it's supposed to work. Well, now look with me at Luke chapter 9. We're going to see an embarrassing moment for John. How many of you have ever had a moment in your life that you looked back on and you were convinced in the moment that you were right, but you look back on it with a new humility? I'll go on and give you the note. John followed Jesus to a new humility. John followed Jesus to a new humility. Luke the physician writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, saying this, 
When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. How about that? They were in a village of the Samaritans. Remember, there's racial tension and religious tension and ethnic tension between Jews and Samaritans. They don't like each other. There's a long history of why they don't like each other. But what happens as Jesus comes through this village is that the people don't flock to him like they had done in, say, John chapter 4. And so James and John were indignant that the people did not come to Jesus. And so this was their idea. You want us to torch him, Lord? You want us to pull a new Elijah moment and call down fire from heaven? We believe that you'll give us the power to do that. Let's just wipe them out. And what does Jesus do? Instead of saying, yes, rebuke these unbelievers, slaughter them. No, what does he do? He rebukes James and John. They still don't get it. They still don't understand that Jesus has come to open the way for not only Jews, but also Samaritans to come to God through Jesus Christ. And not only for Jews and Samaritans, but also for Gentiles. And that's the rest of us. If you're not Jewish or Samaritan, you're a Gentile. And Jesus has come to open the way for all people to come to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the way and the truth and the life. They still don't get it. This wasn't the first time John's brashness had been seen. They had been going through, and there were some people who were trying to do ministry in the name of Jesus. He, uh, John said to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And so again, John's a young man and he is, he's ready to take the world by the tail, but he keeps getting it wrong. And I'm glad because that gives me hope. Because have you ever kept getting it wrong? Why well, I have. Jesus didn't say, John, I'm done with you. No, he would do a transformative work in John's life so that, listen to this, toward the end of John's life, this was his message from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. This is written somewhere between the 70s and 90s A.D., so John's a little older than he was back when he was calling down fire from heaven. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What's happening here? Well, this is straightforward evidence of the transformative work of God in the lives of believers. God doesn't save us to leave us like we were when he saved us. He saves us to make us more like Jesus. And we're seeing it happen in the life of John. To go from wanting to call down fire to consume people to encouraging people to love in the name of Jesus. Now notice that he encouraged people to love according to the love of God as revealed from glory. There's a lot of different definitions of love floating around right now. Go read 1 Corinthians 13. It'll tell you how God describes love and what God's love is all about. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. God's love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. God's love never fails. And John was transformed from calling down fire from heaven to showing forth the love of God in his life. Well, our third point, this comes at the foot of the cross. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 25 through 27. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Jesus is on the cross. All of the disciples have scattered, apparently, except for some women and John. And Jesus is going to speak to John from the cross and give him a new responsibility. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's the point. Point number three, John followed Jesus to a new responsibility. This is amazing. Watch this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Our third point again, John followed Jesus to a new responsibility. I love Jesus. I love that in the moment of his greatest agony, while he is being executed by the most cruel, and we had to invent a word for it, excruciating form of public execution ever contrived, he's taking time to take care of people. Is that not amazing to you? Jesus took time out from dying to save a thief on the cross next to him who believed. And Jesus is now taking out time from dying to make sure that his mama is taken care of. So Jesus looks down, and there are these women. And there are different theories of how these women are to be identified based on the, the gospel accounts of the women that were there, but the women were there. All the big, tough men had run away, but the women were there. And John was there. And there, standing with the women, looking to Jesus as he died on the cross. And, and we know that it's by Jesus' stripes that we are healed. So he's dying for us. He's dying for them. 
Jesus speaks this word to John. Behold your mother. And mom, John's going to be your son now. And so what did John do? Well, he took Mary into his home for the rest of her life. He received a new responsibility from Jesus. It was a responsibility to love, but remember, it was a responsibility to love as God describes love. John learned something from that love. He would write in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What did he learn from Jesus? Well, in the upper room, he had gotten the new commandment from Jesus. When Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Jesus said, will all the world know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, sometimes it's easy to take Jesus' words and turn them into a really nice Bible study lesson. And we fill out our little blank, and we close the book, and we put it up until next time. But what Jesus is calling us to is a radical kind of love that is lived out not only in the Bible study group, but out in real life. At First Baptist Church, we call ourselves a place where faith and life meet. And that's what Jesus came to give, a real faith that intersects with real life and makes a real difference in real people's lives. And so John had learned this from Jesus, that the way the world will know that you are my disciple, that you belong to me, Jesus said, is the way you love, the way you love one another. And John would write toward the end of his life that that love is not something that is solely to be done in words, in talk. Why? Because talk's cheap. But love does. Isn't it Bob Goff who wrote that book? Love does. So we're to love indeed. And in truth, one of the ways that John loved was by taking care, taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, throughout the rest of her life. Because he came to Jesus and got a new responsibility. And I bet it wasn't always easy. Y'all ever cared for anybody? You ever taken care of somebody? How easy is it? But love does. Jesus' love did. Isn't it interesting Jesus gave that command to love indeed while he was showing his love in the deed of the cross? John followed Jesus to a new responsibility. And now John chapter 20, next chapter over, verses 8 and 9. This is the account of the resurrection. Jesus, who was crucified, was raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene was there. She told the disciples, Peter and John, run. Now, I got to tell you this about John. He was a work in progress as he wrote the fourth gospel. He wanted to go ahead and let us know that he is a faster runner than Peter. Okay? 
John outran Peter to the tomb, but he had the humility to say, but I didn't go in. <laughs> Peter got there, and after he finally got there, because it took him forever, you know, because I'm so much faster than him, he's the one that actually went in. And then after he went in, I went, to, went in too. But John chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Our fourth point, John followed Jesus to a new paradigm. John followed Jesus to a new paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M, paradigm. What was this new paradigm? It was a whole new understanding. It was a whole new way of seeing the world. Jesus Christ had been crucified, but now he was alive. And John saw, and what does it say he did after he saw? He believed. And then what happened? His belief in the risen Savior led to action. He functioned according to his belief. That's what we all do. We function according to what we believe. We don't believe the Surgeon General's warning on some things, do we? They put it right there. Hey, this will kill you. But we don't believe it. It won't kill me. It might kill somebody else, but it won't hurt me. So what do I do? I function according to the belief. I ignore the warning, go forward, and then pay the consequences. We function according to our beliefs. John was functioning according to his belief. He saw and he believed and it changed him. And then he invited us to believe. He tells us in this same chapter, John chapter 20, why he wrote the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is actually the theme of the Gospel of John here at the end. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the pattern of belief. We believe, we function according to that belief, and we invite others to believe too. We invite others to experience the same sort of life change that can only happen through Jesus Christ, our crucified and resurrected Savior. For we've seen what he can do in our lives. We believe. It is no secret, the old song says, written by Stuart Hamblin, what God can do, what he's done in others, he'll do in you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. There is no secret what God can do. Well, John had experienced that transformation. And he wanted us to experience it too. So as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this fourth gospel because he had a new paradigm, a new understanding, and he wanted us to dwell in it too. But that wasn't the last thing he wrote. Flip to the back of your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation Incidentally, there's no S on the end of that word, just one revelation. It is singular, not plural. Revelation chapter 1. John's been exiled to the island of Patmos. 
Tradition tells us he's the only one of the disciples who wasn't martyred. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos, and while he's there, he receives the revelation of what is to come. This is what God's Word tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Our fifth and final point today is this. John followed Jesus to a new revelation. John followed Jesus to a new revelation. I'm going to tell you, when you read through Revelation, it will shake you to your core. It's designed to do that. And John saw these things. And John was shaken to his core. But John also saw through the things that shook him, the hope that he had through the one who had died for him and risen again from the grave. John saw through the things that shook him the hope that he had through the one who has him in his hand and will not let him go. So at the end of Revelation, this is what John writes in chapter 22, verse 20. Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Surely I am coming soon. And this is John's response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.